Want to know what the key ingredient is to living up to your potential? In today's episode, special guest Steve Gamlin shares the answer to this burning question and so much more. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss his inspiring journey. Hello, you are listening to The Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. I had the honor of being on the show with Shay and wow, how authentic she is and how much I know that she wants to keep hope alive in the community. So thank you all for joining. And everyone here today, I'm offering a special to all active duty or retired military to my all access on-demand training where we learn how to dream, believe, and achieve our best life. Please visit at timlanefitness.com and I'll see you all soon. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and your business by transforming trauma into treasure. Check out my new collaborative co-author book called Hashtag Firestarters, How to Be a Spark of Hope in the Midst of Change on my website at shaysparks.com. And while you're there, you can look at all my social, connect with me on all my social media links, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and even LinkedIn. And today, our guest is the amazing and incredibly talented Steve Gamlin. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you, Shay. Very happy to be here. And Steve and I met uh, a few months ago, uh, of course, somebody connected me and we got to do a shout out to Caleb Pearson. So thank you, Caleb, for introducing us. Caleb is the man. And it just, as soon as he said, I have somebody I think you should meet, I just know that he's, he's going to steer me in, in the right direction. And he did. Here we are. After several amazing conversations later, here we are. Well, him and Bodie are just such a gem of a team. And so anybody that they introduced me to, I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> I have no problem with me. That friend of yours is a friend of mine is what I always say. Yeah, exactly. So before we dive in, Steve, I just wanted to let the people know, for those of them who don't know who you are yet, as a motivational, the motivational firewood guy, Steve Gamlin blends back to basics, positivity, visualization, and humor, teaching his clients to see desired outcome, understand their why, and build action plans to achieve them via his vision board mastery program, plus live and virtual events. We invite you to connect with him at his website at motivationalfirewood.com. So Steve, well, I just can't wait to dive in. You have so many goodies that you're going to share. I just know it. <laughs> yeah. So I always like to start off with the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? It all goes back to a lesson that one of my grandfathers taught me. And he never actually said the words. He was such a simple man. He lived his entire life. He was a finished carpenter, a cabinet maker, and just this humble, amazing human being. And by watching him for 40 years that I got to be on the earth with him, he left as many situations as a day better than he found them effortlessly. Mm. And I always referred to that. I mean, what you just said, he would invest in the experiences of other people, whether or not they were even aware he would leave situations better. If he drove past your house and said, oh my God, there's a picket broken on Shay's fence from that last storm. 
He'd drive home, get his tape measure, a stubby little pencil, put it on his ear, go back, measure it, go back to his workshop, make another one, go back to your house, fix your fence for you. And if you weren't even home, you would never even know that Al Dion had been there. And that's how he invested in other people's lives. He was just a mm-hmm. servant of, of humanity and kindness. And, and I, I do my best every day. That's my mission wherever I'm at to leave something or energy a little better than I found it and get it all from him. Mm, That is so beautiful. So beautiful. And so it sounds like he kind of did things in secret sometimes. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to ask for you to share your secret. When was the last time you did something secret for another person? Actually this morning, picking up trash in front of some stores while I was taking laps around the parking lot after my workout at the gym. Nice. I, I just love to do that. And and I every Monday morning, especially, I'll scan the entire parking lot. I should bring binoculars for my vision these days. And I look for shopping carts that may have blown away or been abandoned. And that's my usual thing in the morning. I play shopping cart rodeo. I, I even gave it a name of just returning carriages. And that's what I love to do when there's really nobody around. Mm. Because then an employee doesn't have to go racing across the lot. If it's a windy day, a car doesn't get dented by a rolling cart so that's that's my favorite one to do when there's nobody around is play shopping cart rodeo i love that you're you're (laughs) such a a kind-hearted man and (laughs) i have walked by trash before and i'm always thinking why doesn't somebody pick that up even though that someone could be me (laughs) guilty i've I've done it yeah so that's awesome so take us back to uh steve as a child and Tell us about something that you have really struggled with growing up that you now look back and was like, wow, that really made me who I am today. Oh, what a perfect question. When I was 13 years old, all of my friends from first grade through sixth went to one junior high and I went to a different one. And I only Mm -hmm. knew one other person there. So I went from being super confident, a lot of friends, great grades, all the teachers loved me and I loved them and a just very, very popular and confident to going to a school where I knew almost nobody. Mm. They all knew each other because they had all gone to schools together. Sure. In that year, seventh grade English class, Sister Helen, the spelling bee happened and she had us all lined oh, up against oh. the wall and, and was giving us words. And she said, spell award, A-W-A-D. No. And all the other kids are laughing at me while I do the walk of shame back to my desk. Mm. Well, the next student said the same thing and they all laughed again. And the third student who, you know, apparently watched the spelling bee on TV said, sister, could you use that in a sentence? Like, oh, mm. Here we go. The student failed to win the spelling bee award because he spelled the word incorrectly. She meant award with an R. You know, <laughs> my, my luck, I get a 60 year old Catholic nun with a wicked hot Boston accent. Oh, my God, that's too and funny. It took me to my mid thirties to realize, no, it was not super traumatic, you know, in a really bad way, but that was the day. Literally I stopped raising my hand in class Ah, my activity and my interaction got Mm. lower and lower. And my grades went down to the point where I graduated. That was seventh grade. I graduated college by 62 one thousandths of a point. Wow. Uh, back in my stand-up comedy days, my dad's favorite joke was that his son graduated summa come this close. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I found out the day before graduation, I'm like, uh, should I even show up? And, yeah, you squeak through. Wow. But it, it went back to that moment, and it it just shattered me in a way. 
for mm. a long, long time. And it took me forever to figure it out. And when I finally did, I just started laughing and said, really? Like that moment, I let it do all of that. And I'll just look back now and just say, you know, I just want to put my 13-year-old self in a headlock and go, come on, you big dummy, just shake it off and get through it. You know, but, you know, I'm thank you for sharing that um, story. It, it's funny and yet so honest, right? I just think about how many people I know and including myself, how something always has happened in the childhood that really shapes our adult decisions. And even, even not even your adult, but your older you decisions, right? You became, you minimized, you became small mm. instead of drawing attention to yourself. So you mentioned comedian and I, we've talked before, so I know you were a comedian. So how did you shift from no longer minimizing yourself and squeaking by to actually being seen and being on stage and living a larger persona than, than what you had been? Yeah. In 1992, I followed a childhood dream despite the shyness and not wanting uh, to be in, in the spotlight of, of being in the radio industry. I was, I was mm. on the radio from 1992 till 2002. Now here's the thing. I was an off-air producer for most of those years because eight of those 10 years, I was not on the microphone. Wow. Uh, I was a morning show producer Okay, and, and people say, well, you know, really, did they let you talk? I said, for three years, my name was silent Steve. No. They didn't let me talk. And I was just, I didn't have the confidence. Mm. And at age 35, I'd worked 15 years worth of hours in 10, was fried, walked away from radio without a full-time job. My first marriage fell apart and I was $62,000 in debt without a full-time job. I had a little DJ business on the side. That was it. I mean, right into the ashes. I pulled a Wiley e. Coyote off the cliff wearing Acme rocket roller skates. And you got to be my age to get that reference. Uh-huh. And in the ashes of it all, I decided to put myself back together, started doing personal development, a lot more journaling, writing, reading, just thinking mm-hmm. and strategizing who I wanted to become because I wasn't happy being me anymore. Right. The way I had been. Right. And one day I was hitting a bucket of golf balls at a driving range at three bucks in my pocket on a Friday afternoon in August of 03 on a humid day. And a thunderstorm came ripping through. Now, keep in mind, I was at the farthest tee box. So I was under power lines. Oh, God. Barefoot in the wet grass. Mm. At the lowest point in my life, hitting a bucket of golf balls, everybody except for me ran from the storm. And I held the club (laughs) up and just said, I dare you. Oh, wow. And some people say, well, you shouldn't do that. I'm like, I was just being sarcastic at the time. Mm. I wasn't mad. Mad at myself. And I just stayed out there and I hit my bucket and the buckets of two guys who'd run from the storm, like, Hey, free golf balls. And an hour later I got to my car and went to open the door and the rain stopped and the sun came out and I looked up and I just started laughing. I'm like, well played. Mm-hmm. And, and I was just laughing. It was the happiest moment of the week mm-hmm. just because that weirdness happened. Yeah. And a couple of days later, I was talking to a brand new life coach. He goes, how was your week? I said, put your pen down and listen to this. And I retold that hour. I'd made it as funny as I could. That was very self-deprecating. Yeah. I made it as funny as I could. And he's, he's laughing on the other end of the phone. I'm thinking, you know, I don't pay you to laugh at me. You're supposed to help me fix my life. Not comforting to be laughed at. Right. And he said, I got two questions. Are you this open and honest about your life, even with strangers? I said, yeah, you know, it gets self-deprecating. He goes, well, you can work on that. But are you? I said, well, yeah. You ever thought of being a motivational speaker or a stand-up comedian? Mm. I said yes to both, but I've never known what steps to take, nor 
had the confidence to go after it. On his desk was a brochure for a local community college that had an intro to stand-up comedy class. Like who knew those existed that started two weeks later. And I signed up and he said, you ever heard of Toastmasters? I said, do they, they help you be a speaker? He goes, they give you the confidence and the structure to get out there and do your thing. He goes, man, you got the, you got the basics of it. He goes, just polish it up. And three weeks later, I was at my first Toastmasters meeting and I've been speaking ever since. Did seven years of stand-up comedy mm-hmm. and then just took the cleanest, funny material and brought him into speaking and have been doing that for over 17 years. Mm, I love it. I love it. You know, I think sometimes it just takes that tiny, I won't even say tiny. It takes one person to believe in us yeah. for us to make a total life shift. And I did something similar. I spoke at a battered women's shelter years ago, which uh, is interesting. My accountant actually asked me if I would, because I'm a hairstylist too, actually asked me if I would cut hair after this presentation. And I said, sure. But I said, I can do that. I can cut hair. I said, did you know that I was in an abusive relationship? And she was like, no, will you share your story? And I said, I mean, sure I can. And I had always kind of like you in the back of my mind kind of thought, oh, I could maybe be a motivational speaker. Like that looks kind of fun. Like, Mm -hmm. I hmm, wonder what that would look like. And when I stepped into that, she, and I spoke, she came over and she was like, okay, you, I don't know where that came from, but that was amazing. And she's like, you have a book in there too. Are you not just a, a speaking, but you can write too. And I was like, okay. It just so happened. I think it was like a year and a half later. Was it a year and a half later? I don't know. It doesn't matter. She decided to put on a speaking because she was in the NSA, National mm-hmm. Speakers Association. And she decided to put on a speaking boot camp. And so that is when I really stepped into, okay, I can be a speaker. And I think it was about a year before that, I actually decided to take improv for a year. Oh, love that. But it was literally right after, it was the day after that at the battered women's shelter, I was thinking to myself like, huh, I really would need to get more comfortable on stage if this is what I, something I want to do, what would help me do that? And I, it was literally like within seconds, like that aha moment of, well, I could take an improv class. And it just so happened that I Googled it and that day Googled it that day. And it was starting the next Monday. This was Friday and it was starting on Monday. And then, you know, it's, it's those little nuances that those little things that happen like that, that if we're not paying attention, right, we would miss it. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. You know, and you already displayed like right at the very beginning of that, what I believe is the number one superpower of speakers and there's a there's a woman out there named karma spence and she asked a question on facebook this is 10 years ago now 11 years ago if if what do you consider your speaker superpower to be and i typed back i was the first person all in caps authenticity Mm. and we didn't know each other we're three thousand miles apart she shot me a direct message would you like to be in my new book i want to interview you about that word and I've I've been in both versions of the book. I've been on her radio shows, but you just dropped it right in there with your background, your willingness to be vulnerable enough mm. and to hear the opportunities and take action and say, yeah, I can do that. Well, you know, thank you. Thank you for saying that. And I will say that word right there, you vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I, I can attest 
I, I, I'm assuming from you as well, there's something about being vulnerable that is so extremely scary mm-hmm. that when you're, especially if you're shy and then to like now be vulnerable and tell people that you're shy and that you want to step into something different. And yet you also talked about the word confidence and the work that I've done myself, but also in the help work that I help with my clients, my coaching clients, I really see how com- being vulnerable builds your confidence muscle. Mm-hmm. So how have you gone through something where you had to be vulnerable and really it's build your confidence muscle to take you even further than you could have imagined? It actually all started with an email. On June 16th, 2007, I mean, you're reporting these questions. We have not had this prep for the show. <laughs> no. You are handing me, <laughs> like, you're just, you're making me smile prior to finishing the question. So I want to say thank you for that. Yes. June 16th of 2007, I got an email that I almost deleted. I thought it was junk mail. Mm. It was from someone named Tina. And I, well, whatever, whatever, it's spam. I'll check it out tomorrow. Well, it turns out it was from a woman I'd gone to high school with Mm. and had a crush on for three years and never asked out. What? was reaching out to me after 21 years of zero conversation, 10 days after I wrote down my journal and was doing my visualization and vision boards, I am ready to fall in love. Uh. Three plus years after my divorce. Mm. And she said, hey, I saw your name on Classmates and I looked you up. Oh my gosh. And she's since admitted I said, why again did you look me up? She goes, I saw you on classmates and Googled you. She goes, wait a second. Steve, who hid behind me in math class for three years so the teacher wouldn't call on him, was on the radio. Wow. He's doing stand-up comedy, has written at that time two books. Yeah. And is a professional speaker. Yeah, I had to see if it was really you. We should keep in touch. Mm. And we did. Four weeks later, by text, call, and email only with zero pictures of her. She didn't even have a social media footprint at the time. She reached out in a text and said, hey, if I tell you something, do you promise not to freak out? And I said, sure. And she said, here's how I really felt about you in high school. Here's how I felt when I saw your name. Here's how I felt when I got an email and heard your voice. Here's how I feel right now. I love you. Oh, and we had both the conversation had shifted to being like that. It was a matter of who was going to be 1% more vulnerable first Mm. because I was feeling it all for her as well. And I texted her right back. Actually, I didn't text her right back. I was DJing at a wedding. And right when she (laughs) said that the event coordinator came over and says, Hey, 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 we have to go cut the cake. I'm like, Oh dear God, (laughs) I'm leaving an emotionally vulnerable woman in a bubble bath, 1300 miles from here. Be right back. And when I texted her back a few minutes later, I said, I love you too. And we just celebrated our 14th anniversary. Wow. That brings <laughs> a lot of emotion to me and tears to my eyes. Beautiful story. Yeah. And I've told her if she ever ends our relationship, I said, just know in advance, you're going to demolish my speaking career because <laughs> that's everybody's favorite story. It's gotten me on Oprah's radio network four times talking about soulmates and law of attraction. And I, said, oh, so I love that. You gotta, you gotta, you know, the whole forever thing, you know, I'm, I'm on board. So let's, let's make it happen. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I also love what you said that you had someone had to take that 1% of vulnerability. Yeah. Tell me more about that phrase, 1%. I've never heard that before, but I love it. So tell me more about that. 
Yeah, it's it's something that I've heard over and over from one of my coaches and mentors, Chris Whitehead. We've been running together for about 10 or 11 years, and he would always tell me when he saw me getting overwhelmed with things and trying to grow my business and frustration and had some loss over the past couple of years. Some people very close have passed away. And Chris would say, hey, man, where where are things? Where are things? He goes, just remember every day, you only got to do 1% better. Mm. He said, you don't have to. He goes, I know your goals are huge, but he goes, he goes, what's the story you always tell about the old wooden roller coaster? And I go, yeah. I said, it's, it's click, 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 click. He goes, brother, that's your 1%. Stop getting overwhelmed by your own goals, which, you know, it happens. It happens Absolutely. to all of us. Yes. And, and so it's just that every day I'm thinking, all right, what's my 1% today? What's my one thing today? This morning, I did a Facebook Live in the parking lot at the gym because instead of walking one lap, I walked four. And I got in the car and I just, because every time I passed my car, I just said one more. And I smacked my hand on the, on the headlight in the front of the car. I go, one more. One more, one more. And after four, I got in my car, did a Facebook Live, and one of my friends says, hey, Brother Steve, go do one more. I'm like, I will, and and did. I'm still buzzing off of that. Mm. So it's that 1% every day. It's that one more action in any part of your life. You know, what What one thing could you do better in your relationship today for your physical well-being? What meal choice could you make? What emotion could you tap into? How could you be 1% closer to your higher power, whatever that may be? It's just 1% every day. You'd be amazed when you're at the top of a roller coaster looking down at Result City for a ride you couldn't stop if you tried. Mm-hmm. And the 1% will get you there. Wow. I've never heard that phrase before, and I love that you... You mentioned it. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. And you also mentioned law of attraction. Mm. And I know that you do vision boarding and you talked about visioning and journaling and and all of that earlier. So kind of take us down that road. So you went from a comedian and motivational speaker and still motivational speaker to now you're doing vision boards. And so tell us about that, that defining moment and that transition, like, adding and did you just add something or you're like nope i'm tearing this down and i'm pivoting the word of 2020 pivoting into oh, this i know i know everybody <laughs> used that word it's why i tried it i i just avoided using it i just say so yeah. I took my business and bounced it off the wall a different way there you go yeah we'll say well we call that pivoting i'm like you can call that pivoting i just <laughs> that's just more of a way i would describe it is bouncing off the wall it, it's funny because I've been talking the visualization pretty much the whole way over the past 17 years, but a few years in, in actually where it started was that same life coach who I had the conversation with asked me, have you ever heard of the secret, which had just come out on DVD in the early two thousands. So I went and got it. It's about 98 minutes long. Some of it, I really love and appreciate other Mm -hmm. things like the genie and the magic lamp. I really think they could have left on the cutting room floor. Just my personal preference, because Mm -hmm. it made people think, you know, if you wish for it, you get it. Yeah, exactly. Two thirds of the way through, a gentleman named John Asaraf was on the screen and he was talking about vision boards and visualization. And out of 98 minutes, that three minute segment fascinated me. Mm. And I kept thinking, all right, what is there to this? Like, okay, you just see it and it happens. No, no, no. You got to do this and this. So it kind of presented it as I put pictures on a board and then these things happened in my life. So I decided to dig a little deeper. (laughs) And no, I did not learn quantum physics or mathematics or anything like that. Because people say, well, Steve, do you know what happens at a cellular level? No, I don't. I just know that if I 
see exactly what I want, put myself in the right situations, have the right conversations, get the right education, and keep moving with my head up, not staring at my phone at my feet and wind up in a fountain at the mall, I probably stand a better chance of finding it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a lot of times it's just being aware and having your senses wide open to hear things, to see things, to feel things. Yes. And you become magnetic. The energy you put out, I believe, increases the odds of a certain type of return. Mm. You know, if you're walking around denting cars all day and then yours gets dented and you get all bent out of shape, well, that's a form of karma, I believe. And I, mm. I think people deserve what they get or get what they deserve, whatever the whichever way that goes. Mm-hmm. But with the law of attraction, it's it's increasing the odds that you will see the opportunities to get to the outcomes you wish to get to. That's the way I describe it. I try to be the least amount of woo-woo, no unicorn, riding gurus, farting rainbows and glitter across the sky. I don't believe in any of that. And I've tried to never be that way. But that's the law of attraction for me. And, and look what happened, me meeting Tina. I always point up for Tina because her office is right above mine. <laughs> but all these opportunities that that pop up and, and it happens to people around me all the time. My my vision board clients go nuts because they just they reach out to me and they get 20 typos because they're typing so fast they're excited. Look, guess what just happened? I say, well of course it happened. Remember what you said the other day? Mm. Remember what you said you're gonna do? Remember that talk we had and you were going to stay open to this? I said that stuff would have been there with or without you being aware. But you were and you plugged into it. So that that's the way I describe it. I love it. And I have a story, but before I'm going to tell you the story, I want to, want to ask you this. Is there a one thing secret, no pun intended or pun intended (laughs) that you would say is really key to having a vision board and then watching it come true, come to Mm -hmm. fruition? Is there a key? And this is actually one of the biggest lessons. And it was the last one added to the program that I created. Know your why. Mm. Know why you want everything you want. And you can't just say, because my life stinks now. Mm-hmm. It's it's why do you want it? Create an emotional connection to whatever it is you want in any area of your life. I mean, we're talking career, finances, physical health, emotional well-being, relationships, ethics, morals, and integrity, your spirituality and faith, and your connection to the world in a real way. You got to know why you want what you want and make it compelling. And someone asked me earlier today, you know, how important is the why? I said, the why is the gut that keeps you going when your brain starts thinking too much and gets you off track. You got to feel it in your gut because the stronger your why, the less likely you are to get knocked off your path by little annoying people in life that is going to happen. Mm. I love that. I love know your why. So my story is many years ago, I was in that the abusive relationship and I was really struggling with this is all there is. I don't have a choice. I'm not going to get out that type of thing. And I saw this little uh, story and it wasn't even a story. It was a paragraph in this huge magazine. And the paragraph said, when you're setting goals, instead of saying, I want to do blank, you use I am statements right? And you use affirmations of, I am already that thing. And so I started journaling all the things that I wanted to do or what I wanted to be, that type of thing. 
for years. And sometimes when I would journal, I would literally like, uh, that was my assignment is to write those I am statements over and over and over again. And then I just took them onto a postcard and I stuck it on the wall in my office. And that was it. I don't even go in my office. I don't even work in my office, but I would walk by it. Sometimes I'd notice it. Sometimes I wouldn't, but it was more about like releasing for me, a releasing attachment to it. Mm. Yeah. And the career ones I had come across, I just happened to notice the other day, the career ones, I was like, wow, I could literally like check the boxes on every single one of them. And the craziest thing is, is that some of them aren't even related. Like in the, in the work that I do, they're not even related, like coaching and books and investing and that type of thing. But it was also real estate. And wouldn't you know this earlier this year, my brother and I, um, became real estate investors. So it's just funny to me that when you, for me, I believe that it is energy, right? That you are creating this energy and then yourself gets to show up to where that energy actually is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you have to, to me, I feel like you have to do the work. You have to heal in order to get to that energy, right? What is your um, belief on that? Everything you just said, hundred percent. And it, it's, as you were saying that we're talking about planting the seeds. And even before you said doing the I am statements in my head, because I've recently done this for a second time with my coach, Chris Whitehead. Mm-hmm. And we, we do as, as part of a, an exercise in a program that he leads the I am statements. Well, I did it with him probably about seven or eight years ago. And I still know it verbatim in the morning in my car do my morning prayers from when I leave the driveway. They end geographically at the stop sign at the bottom of our street. And after that, I do my I am statement. Well, we recently expanded upon it. Mm. It's now about three and a half minutes long. So I've actually come here in my recording studio and recorded it. And now I listen to it as Mm. a daily inspiration. And I get so fired up by it. And so many things have already come into motion. To get me there, because it's almost like we're we're reading about a future character. Yes. And we're planting in the seeds saying, oh my gosh, that sounds like me, but not quite there yet. But if you keep going, you morph into intentionally, mm-hmm. you become that person. There's so much power to that. And some people say, oh, that's, you know, blah, 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 blah. Hey, that's fine. I'm going to sit over here and create this. I mean, my first visualization exercise and my first I am statement happened when I was 10 years old. And I saw a TV show, again, you got to be my age to get it, called WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. 1978, I was 10 years old. And I saw this guy named Dr. Johnny Fever, who was a DJ. Mm, Yes. And I said, I want to do that someday. He wore jeans, t-shirts, sunglasses indoors, scraggy hair, scruff of beard, played records and talked in a microphone and got paid. Mm. And within days, I was walking around with my dad's old tape recorder and a microphone doing my own radio shows, planted it right then. Now, of course, you know, the lack of confidence thing happened and all that still wound up on the radio for 10 years because of another lesson you've already dropped, which is gold. Someone believed in me when I didn't. I had a friend when I was 24 asked me why I never followed my dream being on the radio. Mm. And in the summer of 92, I went to broadcast school and I did. I got an internship, which pays nothing. But I got my foot in the door and I went yeah. and told my friend because I hadn't seen him all summer. And he was so proud. He said, I told you, I told you, I told you. Well, he passed away three weeks later. Mm. Did all 10 years. And I, I still remember the, the last 
big event of my radio career. I was on stage introducing a band in front of 15,000 people at a concert. We created watching fireworks after the show. I just sit on the stage with my legs hanging down, looking up at the sky. And I just started talking to my friend. I said, man, can you believe this? And it took me a couple of years when I became a speaker. Someone asked me, why are you a speaker? And I gave 16 blah answers. And finally I said, you know what? Somebody believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And I want to be that person for anybody who hears me. And I was crying when I said it. And he goes, good. Don't ever forget that. And you said that earlier when, you know, someone believes in you when you don't listen, because they they've got something. They see something in you. You can't see in your own mirror. Man, I didn't know you're going to turn on the waterworks today. <laughs> Beautiful story. And- First time I shared that about my friend was at a mm-hmm. speaking event. Mm. I'd never said it before. Got to a part in the speech where I scanned all the way across the room and all the way back and still could not remember what the hell I was supposed to say next. Right. Looked at the screen. That was no help. And I did. It was the longest dramatic pause ever. And I grabbed the chair, spun it around, sat on it with my arms in the back, put my head down. And Marissa said, you don't mind if I take a moment and share why I became a speaker? Mm. And I told that story, made a whole room full of people cry. That was also the day I learned, never leave people sad. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that just fell out. You know, I love it because we're we're really talking about, you know, some of the things that happened to us in childhood. But I feel like, and I, I'm a very uh, spiritual person, I believe in God. For me, I just feel like God like drops little hints in your childhood that you pay, you got to pay attention to now as an adult. Like, so yeah, the things that happen to you can shape your adult decisions. So the things that were planted to you of what your goals were can really p- decide, you know, what you have to do now to take care of it as an adult. And I had something very similar as well. I remember watching Oprah with my mom after school and we were sitting there and Tony Robbins was on. I was like, I, I had a vision when I was a little kid and I mean, little kid, like eight years old and that I was standing on stage speaking to a group of people. And when I saw Tony Robbins, I was like, huh, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to be him. And I don't know if I like that. And so, right. (laughs) So a few weeks later, this woman was on there and her name was Rhonda Britton. I was talking to my mom and my mom was like, I think you could do that. And I was like, I don't know what she does, but that sounds really fascinating. She was a life coach for, you know, first time I'd ever heard that term before. And it's through fearless living. And I was like, I'm not sure what that is, but that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Jump ahead. Four, four years ago now, I have five years ago, I was in Nashville at another conference for my website. And who do I meet? Rhonda Britton. And right. Wow. And we were talking about being a life Bump coach. City. <laughs> right. And we're talking about being a life coach. And I said, I'm a coach. And she's like, oh, where did you get your training? And I said, honestly, I don't have training. I had hired a, a coach who helped me build my business. And he told me, you don't have to have training. And I said, why do you think I should have training? And she's like, well, I have my own, I have a program, a certification program. And to try it out, we have this thing called Fearless Conversations. You should just come and check that out in LA in January. And this was November. And I thought, hmm, well, I'm going to call myself a communication coach. So I guess that aligns. 
And I go and in January to LA and the fearless conversations. And I'm there for about two and a half hours. And I'm like, huh, I'm sitting in a hug. I've never been felt so supported in my life. Wow. I, I think I need to get on board with this. And that was the rest is history, as they say, but it was just absolutely unbelievably magical to be able to look back and that one little nugget of my mom believing in me saying, you could do that. Even though when she got, you know, as I aged and she aged, she got sick. She was like, I don't understand what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. And that's okay. And she unfortunately was, you know, passed away before I was able to even apply to this program, but Mm -hmm. I know she's with me along the way. Yeah. As is my dad. I lost my dad almost at the time of this conversation, almost three years ago. Mm -hmm. He would always say, you know, he'd always ask if I had a speaking event or coaching call or a big vision board event. I've got one client that I've worked with now. We actually just signed the contract. This January will be the 13th year in a row. Wow. I'll be speaking at their headquarters. I mean, I'm the first speaker every year. And he would always say, I really don't know what it is you do when people ask, so what's Steve doing these days? Because I don't know. He's doing some vision thing and he, and he does motivational speaking. He goes, so basically you get up on stage and tell stories and people pay you. I'm like, yeah. 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 I said, but they're lessons. I'm not just doing stand up, you know, companies. That's not what I get paid for. I said, I get paid to be a storyteller and to impart lessons and make them as memorable as possible and share my own life in a very authentic, vulnerable way. Mm -hmm. And not just, you know, rah, 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 buy my stuff. Cause that, Whenever I'm at an event and I see a speaker pulling that crap, like just they're not, they're being disingenuous. And I know what I'm hearing on stage is not the person I just had a conversation with right? who was complaining about the event and all this and that. And I'm like, I just look up and I start praying and go, dear God, please let the person who's supposed to go on next have very minor intestinal distress and let me go next. <laughs> let me show the audience what a speaker, how a speaker is supposed to treat them. Mm. Let me get up there and be respectful. Let me bring a better energy back to this. You know, I'm thinking the other person can go on after me. I don't want them really sick, but just for some reason, we need a diversion. Like mm-hmm. I want to be on stage right now, rescuing this audience and, and being more authentic and genuine and, and actually caring about more than just selling stuff in the back of the room. And, and I get it. We got to make money, but I'm sure you've seen speakers out there like that too. And they're just, Absolutely. I'm led by my heart. And, and I, I, I did 43 free speeches for the state of Mass and state of New Hampshire in three years to unemployment networking groups. And I'll tell you what, some of the greatest moments I've ever had on stage were in those rooms. Hmm. You know, I just believe kind of like, you know, our, what we were talking about offline before we got on here, the go-giver, yeah. right? You just give till it hurts and then you give some more. And, you know, mm-hmm. law of reciprocity, it will come back. Yeah. 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 That That is the book that has changed my life more than any other. In in the day I bought it, I actually met Bob Berg, one of the co-authors in Florida mm-hmm. at a B&I conference because I was a, one of the area directors up here in New Hampshire at the time mm-hmm. and fell in love with the book. And, and I got it on CD, the first audio version. Yeah. And I, I used to tell Bob, I go, Bob, I listened to it so many times you can see through the darn CD. And he would just laugh. He goes, buy it again. I'm like, yeah, buy it again. So I did on Audible. Now it's digital. I can't wear it out. But now I've met both of the authors mm. uh, for no other reason 
that anytime somebody asks on social media, what book has changed your life? I always say the go-giver and I tag them both. Mm. And I recently got to meet the other co-author, John David Mann and his wife, Anna, who struck up a friendship with me and invited me for dinner in their home Mm. because they were so appreciative of me supporting the book for the past 15 years. Well, talk about law of attraction. Law of attraction right there. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, we obviously see we could talk for hours. I mean, it's just such a such a joy when we can chat. So thank you. Uh, and so before we wrap up, I just have a few more questions, but sure. I would really, how can people connect with you? What's your social media, your website? I know we talked about your website earlier, but you know, what they're like, gosh, what is this vision board thing? And how can I do this? This sounds really fascinating. How do they connect with you? They can reach me at the website, motivationalfirewood.com. And all of my social media handles are just my name, Steve Gamlin. They can find me there. And we even have a Facebook group dedicated to little tips and tactics and strategies. It's called Vision Board Mastery. I think there is a couple out there. So look for my name uh, associated with it. But for anybody that wants just a little bit of knowledge, a nice little broad brush about visualization on my website, motivationalfirewood.com, go to forward slash VI5. There's a little eight minute video called Visualizing Five. Mm. And I put it together for people to who have never heard of visualization and just want to understand the basics. And I had a ball putting it together. And some people have said, oh, it's only eight minutes. I can watch it between snooze buttons in the morning. I'm going, oh my gosh, <laughs> you are so missing the point of, of you know, get your day going and rocking. I, I go, you're going to snooze through half of it and have to watch it three times. So right. it, that's been the joke from some of my clients ever since it came out. But oh, that's yeah, motivationalfirewood.com, shoot me an email or a message. I love having conversations with people. I just, I really, really do. Mm-hmm. And I can attest that you do. I enjoy every time we get to chat. Mm-hmm. And you brought up the the name of your website again, Motivational Firewood. So how did that even come about? How did that story? I know there's a story in there somewhere. That yeah, that. yeah. Uh, my very first meeting with the National Speakers Association in New England is our regional chapter. And I joined them very early on when I became a speaker and I went in for my first meeting. And of course you have the blue name badge of shame, which means I'm clueless and, you know, look at me. And I walked in and this gentleman said, Oh, Hey, Steve, I see this is your first time with us. My name is Don. And you know, what do you speak on? I want to be a motivational speaker. He goes, Oh, really? What sets you apart? I go, I want to help people. He goes, not helping yourself. And, and he was being kid gloving with yeah. it. We had about a three to five minute conversation. And he kept saying, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? I finally said, you know what, Don? If somebody pays to hear me speak or comes to hear me, I said, if they wake up the next day and think one more positive thought, speak one more kind word or take one more positive action. I said, I know they got a spark in their heart, but if something I share gets them to go to the next level, it's almost like I gave them a piece of motivational firewood or something. Mm. And he just goes, whoa, hold on. Because do you know anything about trademarking? I'm like, no. He said, that's something. He goes, that's unique and that's different. You know what I love the most about it? He said, watching your face as you just shared that version. Of it. Mm. He goes, young man, hang on to that. And I went and dropped about 1200 bucks and trademarked it. And I've owned it ever since. Mm. Beautiful. I and love that's been that. My mission the whole way. I say that's one of the first things I say on stage every time. 
I love that. And, you know, of course, being a sparks of fire, that is, uh, (laughs) we're definitely kindred spirits from the very beginning, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yes. And so I thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time. And, and I know our audience got some great stuff out of it. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Oh my gosh. This is wonderful. It was like the greatest game of volleyball ever. (laughs) And now we're just going to spike it at the end. And guess what? Both won. So that's the best part. There we go. It's a win-win. So I always like to leave with this question of what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? I got to share this earlier today. Well, you're just serving them right up to me here today. That's great. My fourth book that I wrote was actually written by a little dog named Super Teddy, who was a rescued Yorkie Pomeranian. Yeah. Chapter two of his book is is the one that I live by. Wake up every day and wag yourself happy. Because the book was called Bust Out of Your Crate, Super Teddy's Top 20 Tips for People to Be as Happy as Dogs. So that from him, wake up every day and wag yourself happy. Put something good in your heart, your mind, your soul, or your body first thing in the morning on purpose to set yourself up for a good day. Don't park yourself in front of the news complaining. Mm. Wake up and wag yourself happy. Mm, I love that. And I love it because I'm actually have been researching about shaking trauma therapy. Mm. Yeah. So there's something about like moving your body in a specific way that Mm. helps shake it off. No offense, Taylor Swift, but you were right on. (laughs) (laughs) You were right on that. Animals do that when they experience some sort of trauma, they, they shake their body. And as humans, we don't do that because it looks weird or whatever, but it really helps. So it's a trauma release system of some sort. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's see, look at that. We're supposed to just have that conversation. I know, that we that was supposed to be the quote today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Steve. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Power of Investing in People podcast. Steve gave us so many nuggets and wisdom, and you may have even like my teared a little up a little bit and grabbed a tissue. So if you did, please go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. And until next time, let's get fired up. Did you know that when you share the knowledge that you gained from an experience, it becomes wisdom? There is power in sharing your voice of wisdom inside a book to leave a legacy for generations to learn from your experience. And then add collaborating with other leaders, your legacy makes an even bigger impact. Like co-author Joe Bogdan, who shares in his chapter how being better has no finish line. He said his experience in the hashtag Firestarters book project has been nothing short of amazing. From him being a first-time author, he loved our supportive approach and we earned his trust immediately. If you're curious about joining the next collection of Firestarters co-authors, then join the movement today at firestartersbookproject.com.